My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Uh, the other way that people talk about the Ten Commandments, picking up from last week, is that the first four are vertical. They have to do with our relationship with God, right? I am your God. You'll have no other gods before me. Second one was no graven images. The third one was don't take my name in vain. And the fourth one was uh, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. So those four commandments define the relationship between the Israelites and their heavenly father. So if it defines their relationship with the heavenly father, it therefore defines our relationship with the heavenly father. The next six define our relationship with each other. Now, I know you were taking vigorous notes, but let me point something out. There's only one positive in those six, and the others are all negative. The positive one says, honor your father and mother. And in uh, Deuteronomy, when he restates it, it says, honor your father and mother, that your life may be long upon this earth. Now, I, I don't know if you like um, obscure Hebrew law, but there's actually a law in Deuteronomy that if your child is disobedient and you think that he's going to be a damage to the community, you can go to the elders and say, we don't know what to do with him. Our child is evil and disobedient. And they take your child out to the edge of the town and they stoned them. I didn't make that up. It's in Deuteronomy. That's why Moses said, honor your mother and father that your life might be long upon the earth. Because they could go, could you imagine you're at Walmart with your kids and you go, hey, I'll take you to the elders of the congregation. That kid would sit straight up and down. There is no record that it actually happened, but it is a law in the Bible. So, Remember, we talked about the fact last week that the Israelites needed to be de-Egyptified. They had lived in Egypt for 400 years. They understood the gods. They perhaps spoke the language, the customs. And God needed to separate them, not only from their Egyptian heritage, but from the countries around them. I, I didn't plan it this way because I planned this sermon way back in the beginning of May before the injury and the COVID, but it landed on the perfect day. On Memorial Day, we stop and remember the things that have happened for us, the people that have died for us, and we're supposed to take a moment. I'll, I'll be at the War Memorial in Mullica Hill this afternoon. We take a moment to stop and recognize their sacrifice and recognize that we have the freedoms we have and the lives we have because of their sacrifice. Well, what is God doing? God is saying to his people, you are going to be a living memorial to all the countries around you. And the first way you're going to do that is by having a relationship with your one God. You may remember last week I said the Egyptians had a God for everything, but our God is the God of everything. And then he says, and you're going to act this way. He wants to be proud of his children. Are there, and let's not call them out, but I want you to think there are some jobs that we would be sort of embarrassed if our children grew up to have them. And I'm not picking on these jobs, but 
Have you ever met a person that if you shook their hands, you felt like you needed to count your fingers when you got it back? And there's certain professions that seem to lend itself to that character. Well, God says, no, my people are going to be honest. My people are not going to covet. My people are going to be different than the people around them. Not only in their worship, but in the way they act. So, I have three children. When they were young, they required, like plants in Vicky's garden, fertilizer and food and pruning. And I got to tell you, I never had to tell my children, I never had to teach my children how to lie, how to hit, how to covet, how to sulk, or how to steal. And sharing was not part of their DNA at all. My two oldest are 13 months and 19 days apart. And a couple times we made the mistake of buying one toy for Christmas or birthdays and say, share it. Now, some of you are smiling because you have children in your life. That never worked out. But my responsibility to my children and my church and my society in general was to guide the growth and behavior of my children so that they would be productive members of their church family and their community. I had rules. I had standards, and I'm sorry to say, there were punishments. Oh, there were consequences, but there were punishments. So what are the six we're talking about today? They're pretty straightforward. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie about stealing, and don't covet. We're going to look at these one at a time. So let's, let's start with the honor your father and mother. Now, I've said to my children many times, I'm sure you have as well, and God says it to his children, I know how you act when I can see you. I'm more concerned how you act when I can't see you. Now, I, I told this to the Thursday night Bible study because it was one of the, it's in my notes, but when I was about eight or nine years old, my two best friends and I, and I won't say their names, but we hung out together. We went to school together. We were in the same class and the same Sunday school class from kindergarten all the way through to graduating from high school. We were close. We're riding our bikes, and we find this big, huge sidewalk of brand new cement. Now, I'll tell you that all three of the young people involved were precocious and fairly bright children. So we're all looking at this cement, and one of the precocious children, which, by the way, was not me this time, says, if we write our names in the cement, everybody will know. Because I grew up in the town, my mom grew up in the town, and my grandparents still lived in the town. So one of the boys says, well, let's write somebody else's name in the cement. So we all found sticks, and we wrote the names of our friends who were not there, in the cement, we were so proud of ourselves. We got to write in wet cement. Nobody will ever catch us. And this lady comes out of her door, and she points, and she shouts, Aren't you Janet Madison's kid? We got on our bikes, and we rode home as fast as we could. And, and I tried. I'd like, I, it's not my name in the cement. Did not work. After um, the Board of Education was applied to the seat of learning... My father and I had a talk because he was very upset that I had damaged 
his name and his reputation in the town. He was more concerned about how I acted when he couldn't see me as when he can. Now, it's funny because we sometimes act like God can't see us. <laughs> well, he won't really see this one. By the way, God sees everything. So then he says to his people, you need to be different. You're a living memorial to the mighty things that I've done. Now, we didn't look at this, but if you were to go back to the end of chapter 19, there is the Mount Sinai, and two to three million, that's how many they believe, Israelites, are camped around the bottom of the mountain. And uh, they didn't have it, but they should have. That yellow caution tape, because they put a, a barrier around the mountain and they said, you may not go any farther than this or you'll die. And if you touch the mountain, you'll die. So all these two to three million people are called to stand on this barrier. And then God arrives. And he does not arrive in a still small voice. There's smoke. There's thunder. There's lightning. There's earthquakes. And out of all this comes the voice of God. And I'm, I'm so sorry at this moment in time that I'm a tenor. Because we, we met this guy yesterday. I, I was getting my motorcycle repaired. And he had that deep, deep voice. You know, the one that just sort of rumbled out. And I, I imagine that's the voice that came out of the clouds and the thunder and the lightning and the earthquake. Well, as my kids would say, that'll leave a mark. The people were so terrified that they asked God to never talk to them like that again, that he would only talk through Moses, and then Moses would mediate God's word to the people. Think about this. These people had seen the ten plagues. They had seen the Red Sea opened and crossed on dry land. They had seen themselves run out of food, and magic food appeared six days out of the week, but not on the Sabbath. And later on, there's going to be a rock that Moses hits with a stick and water comes out. And all of that brings them to this place with the fire and the smoke and the lightning and the clouds. And God, not Moses, shares with them these Ten Commandments. He was indelibly marking the Israelites as his people. Now, why do we need commandments? I, th I think that's a, a fair question. And the psychologist in me says, well, there is a man named Kohlberg. If you're writing in your notes, it begins with a K, K-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. And he has three general stages of moral development. Now, if you have little children in your life, you're going to go, oh, that makes so much sense. But we don't often think about how our morals develop. Stage one is called pre-conventional. Pre-conventional, and here's what it says. Morality equals punishment. So, you're at somebody's house, and they're in one of those houses where you have to take your shoes off when you go in, but you don't take your shoes off. The little kid looks at you and he goes, you better take off your shoes or mommy will whack your butt. Right? The rule equals the punishment. Now, the second stage is called conventional, and that's when... Morality equals rules and laws. Um, all three of my kids had Mrs. Clark for fourth grade. Did, 
Any of yours have Mrs. Clark? Um, we had to make Indian village dioramas. I made three of them. One with Benjamin, one with Jonathan, and one with Diana. And I'll tell you the truth. They got progressively smaller. <laughs> and Diana's, we actually carved out of a pumpkin and made the diorama in the pumpkin. Then Mrs. Clark called and said, uh, the pumpkin is rotting in my classroom. Come and get this diorama out of here. But Mrs. Clark was old school. And she had rules. And those kids had to live by their rules six hours a day, every day. And guess what they did when they came home? They tried to inform us that we had to live by Mrs. Clark's rules. Right? Well, Mrs. Clark says, Mrs. Clark says, I was like, we are now forbidding that statement. I'm like, I don't care what Mrs. Clark says. She doesn't live in our house. But then the rules developed the morality. Now, the last stage is the stage when Peter and John were arrested for healing the lame man. You remember the story? The lame man is begging for alms. They say, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto you. Arise in the name of Jesus Christ and walk. And the guy doesn't walk. He doesn't follow directions. He dances and shouts and praises God all the way into the temple. Well, we're not going to have that commotion in our church. So they arrest them and they take them to the leaders. And they say, we will let you go if you promise to stop talking about Jesus. What do they say? They say, I'm sorry, God's laws are higher than man's laws. So the third stage in moral development is called post-conventional. And it says, I have to do the right thing, even if it's against the law. And I put law in quotes there. Now, see, we're Americans, and we don't really have a lot of respect for an ultimate authority. In fact, if we don't like our authorities, we get to vote them out. We can vote our congressmen out every two years, our senators every six years, and our president every four years. If we don't like them, you push the lever and they're gone. Can you vote God out? Well, no, you can't. Uh, God is the ultimate authority for the Hebrews and should be the ultimate authority for us. God demonstrably does miracles every day. Experiential, ex, my lips are not working this morning. Experientially, he delivers us from sin. And auditorily, we hear his word. When you come to Sunday school or Bible study or church, God wants to be heard. He wants to be our authority. And yet we, we feel that we have the right as believers to say, well, I'm not sure I like that rule. It's a, what do they call it in the government? It's like a, a, re, a line item veto. Well, I'm okay with honoring God, but sometimes I take his name in vain, and sometimes I covet, and sometimes I lie. And, and we act like the Ten Commandments can be negotiated. But the Hebrews in the story had no choice but to see and experience and hear God. The same God that calls to us today through Scripture. The problem is it'll only leave a mark if you're listening. Now, the fifth commandment has to do with our relationship to our parents. I guess I'm still on that point. Sorry. <laughs> now... 
Some of you have met my daughter and some of you haven't, but my daughter is probably the most precocious of the three children. And she read in Proverbs that a wise parent has children who call them blessed. Not blessed, King James, blessed. And when she wanted something, that cute little girl would snuggle up on your lap and she'd lean back or she'd wrap her arms around your neck and she'd go, blessed, can we go to Rita's? Blessed, can we get a soft pretzel? Blessed, can we go to KB Toys and look at a new Barbie? And I got to tell you, I melted. That girl is spoiled and it's my fault. Why? Because she rose up and called me blessed. I'm having a moment. Ah, there we go. So, why does God give us the Ten Commandments, part two? Because we are human beings and, well, let me put it this way. One of my children is an Ivy League trained lawyer. Very proud of him. But since he was this big, that boy argued. That boy argued about everything. And we had to make a rule for everything or else the boy would argue with us. Well, he would say, you never told us that. So we had to literally, if something happened and it went wrong, we had to fix it and then say to the children, all three, this is now a rule. One of the rules was, if you got your breakfast done and your lunch packed, you could watch Power Rangers right up to 8 o'clock when the bus came. Well, one day we got a phone call that the bus was going to be late. Well, the TV was supposed to go off at 8 o'clock, but I got three kids. What do you do? I, so I, this is what I had to say. I said, I am going to break this rule for one day and one day only. You may not say, but Dad, do you remember when? It ain't happening. This is the only time. Why? Because if God doesn't tell his people how to behave, they're going to say, well, you never told us that. Now, when I work with teenagers, they don't really like the word sin. And I got to say, I'm a little uncomfortable with it, but bear with me here. Sin is an old-timey word. Selfishness, that's a new word. And if you think about it, sin is selfishness. If you were to murder somebody, you're deciding that your life or what you want is more important than their life. If you're stealing from somebody, you're deciding that their stuff should be your stuff. If you have to cover up that stealing with a lie, you're deciding that your truth is more important than their truth. Uh, I love that list. Do not cover your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's ox, your cow, his ass. He just makes the whole list. Why? Because if we were to covet anything along there and it's not on the list, we're human. We're going to say, hey, it wasn't on the list. God says, these commandments are what makes you different. And I want you to hear this. He doesn't compel us out of fear, but God compels us out of love. If my children love their father and their father acts in a loving way towards his children, then they're going to want to do the things, hopefully, that I expect of them. 
In my life as a Christian, I've, I've seen that murder is not just the loss of a physical life. We can murder a relationship. We can murder a business, a career, a character, or a reputation. I have a friend in ministry several years ago who was accused by a parishioner of improper behavior. The elders of the church came down hard. He was removed from his position in the pulpit. He was defrocked. That's when they unordain you. And he and his wife almost split over it and they wound up moving far away and he got a doctorate in social work. He's a social worker. Three years after all this happened, the woman came forward and said it was a lie. I made it all up. She destroyed that man's career. She destroyed his calling. She almost destroyed his family. I think we could say that she and the leaders who handled it improperly in some ways murdered that man's life. And all of this, think about it, was done by the family of God. Murder does not require a physical weapon, a gun, or a knife. Murder does not even require a specific intention. But thankfully, our Heavenly Father knows to place a prohibition on murder of any kind. Now, moving on, I, in my private practice, I use two books with couples. Specifically, His Needs, Her Needs, Building an Affair-Proof Marriage. I highly recommend it. And the other one, we actually did a study on the five love languages. And what it talks about, both books, is that we all have a love bank. That in every relationship we have, we're making deposits and withdrawals. Now, each of these stresses the intentional behaviors and actions and inactions that can make a spouse look outside of the marriage bed. I want you to think about that. We often point at the adulterer, but we don't look at the cause of the adultery. Now, you didn't hear me say that adultery is not a bad sin. It's an awful sin. It's a horrible thing. It's a breaking a covenant against God. But behaviors don't just happen. They usually have to be groomed and grown. The intention of the, the commandment here is that Adultery often happens after a long time of neglect or misunderstanding or unmet needs. And God is committing to his children. Because remember, he not only tells them that he's their heavenly father, but he treats Israel like his bride. He's committing to his children by example. And he calls his children to make and keep their commandments and commitments to one another. Think about this. Our marriage relationships, our families become part of our witness and faithfulness to God. As a, I'm moving on to stealing. As an elementary teacher, I've seen the next two commandments go hand in hand. And I've sort of mentioned this already. Somebody brings a new, let's say, Pokemon card to school. I only know one. It's called Zarzar or something like that. Oh, and there's a Jigglypuff. That's a, Jigglypuff sings a song and everybody falls asleep. I want to know his song. Wouldn't it be nice to put a group of fifth graders who are all being unruly, sing a song and they all go sound asleep? So he's got this brand new Jigglypuff card. And he shows it to all his friends because he's so proud he's got it. And he puts it in his desk. And everybody goes out to lunch and everybody comes back from recess. And you know what happened. Jigglypuff is missing. 
and then the, the tears come and the lip comes out. And we're pretty sure we know who has Jigglypuff. Yo, kid, give him the card. I don't have the card. And I mean, the crocodile tear. And we all know he's got the card. Give me your bag. I'm going to look. You can't look at my bag. My mom says you can't look at my bag. Why would you look at my bag? You've all seen this happen, right? So the stealing is often followed up with the lying. And just like when we talked about murder, you don't have to just steal a physical item. You can steal someone's heart. You can, you can steal, how, how do they put it? You can rent space in their head. You can make them so nervous or so anxious or so angry that they can't do the things they're supposed to do because you've stolen their attention or their focus. So some of you heard me talk about my computer guy, Bill. I, uh, I told him he was going to be in the sermon, sermon today. He was like, well, thank you, Doc. I said, well, keeping you in the sermon doesn't get you closer to heaven. It just lets people know that you're there. So remember back in the days when everybody had the little plastic computer discs before we had the CDs? And when you bought a program, it came with a stack of these discs. So one person would buy it, and then they would give the stack of discs to another person, which is illegal. And then they would give it to another person and another person, and soon all the people had the program, but they didn't pay for it. My laptop went belly up. I took it up to Bill. Bill, I said, can you help me out? He says, okay, Doc. What programs on here did you not pay for? He says, I'll do my best to not wipe them out. I will. And I said, well, Bill, I paid for all of them. He said, what? I said, yeah, that's, that's the right thing to do. He didn't know I was a pastor. It was the first time I set foot in his building. Now, Bill and I have known each other for close to 30 years now. He's at Ashland Computer, right? He looks at me like I'm from Mars. He says, Doc, you're the only person I know that has no bootlegged programs on their computer. I said, okay. I said, if you need, I have all the discs and all the paperwork, and I leave. When I came back, he was like giddy. He says, turn it on, turn it on. I turned it on. He had put the brand new, and this is going to tell you how long ago, he put the brand new Windows 95 on, and he said, this is a legal copy, and here's the paperwork. He still talks about that. It's been close to 30 years. And he's like, Doc didn't steal any programs. Like, and he's, he's bailed me out from youth group stuff and computer stuff all along. I send everybody over there, right? But he talks about the witness of the pastor that didn't have any bootlegged programs. So the way that you handle things is part of your witness. This is, list is getting longer. How you treat your heavenly father, how you worship, how you treat your, your family and friends, how you treat your property. Now, the last one is probably the toughest. The word covet means to want something very much, especially something that doesn't belong to you. And I think we all have had visits with the word covet. And I think the other side of the covet coin is called contentment. Can you be happy with what you have? Can you be happy with what God gives you? It makes me think of people who are snowbirds. 
They're only happy in New Jersey when, when it's warm, but they don't like the snow, and then they go down to Florida. Well, some people treat their relationship with God that way or the relationship with their neighbor's stuff that way. My grandfather always said he had to buy three of everything, one for him, one for my dad, and one for my uncle. Because they would just say, oh, I'm going to borrow this tool or this ladder, this whatever, and it would disappear. Have you ever thought about Amazon as the prime location for coveting these days? You can have just about anything in this world delivered to your house at the touch of a fingertip. And some things you can have delivered the same day or within 24 hours. Now, I I joke about my relationship with Amazon, but I I think that we need to put into perspective where our money's going, where our time's going, and how much stuff we're collecting because it's the newest, brightest, shiniest toy. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have a drawer of newest, shiniest toys that aren't new and shiny anymore, and in they go. Henry Kissinger was talking to a pastor named Dr. Coffin, and uh, Dr. Coffin said this. Let me back up. Some years ago, Henry Kissinger was on television with Dr. Coffin, and the social responsibility was the topic. And they were talking about the injustices that were happening in the world, that are still happening. In exasperation, Dr. Kissinger said, but what would you have us do to the pastor? This is what the pastor said. As a minister, it's my task to say, let justice roll like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. He said, it's your job to build the irrigation system. Well, I hope that this swift overview of the Ten Commandments whets your appetite to know more. The book of Exodus fleshes out these ten, and they actually go on through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's compelling to me that God delivered these. It's compelling to me that they came from his actual voice, not a mediator. There's no hearsay. There's no interpretation. These came from the literal mouth of God. And if I had to discern, drill down, distill a single concept from these 10, it would be don't be selfish. Not with your time, with your work, with your resources, with your possessions, Because God's people need to be content and obedient, trusting and truthful, respectful and relational. And for us New Testament believers, this becomes a personal task. The goal is in sight, and yet we do not know when we reach it. We only know that we will. So tomorrow, before your feet hit the floor, do a checkup from the neck up. One more or more to the point, search your heart and ask. How can I or how am I demonstrating my love for God and my fellow humankind today? Make today the day that you become a living memorial to our Heavenly Father. Amen.